So good evening, everyone. Oops. Hold that thought. Just like James always trying to get started with. Of course. That's what makes life fun. Good evening, everyone. Welcome everyone who's here in person as well as online as we venture tonight into the second installment. The kingdom of God is like. And tonight we will look at how living in the kingdom of God is or what living in the kingdom of God is like. Let us pray. Our blessed Heavenly Father, You are indeed a great God. Heavenly Father, you bless us in so many ways, and we have so many things to be thankful for. Father, we are thankful that you allowed us a restful night of sleep last night. You allowed us to wake, and and you opened doors for us today to show the world that we are indeed children of God. And Father, you've allowed us to be here tonight. And Father, as we are here tonight, Father, may we listen to the word that is spoken both in the lesson and in the devotional, Father. May we listen to those words, Father, and seek ways that we can use those words to grow in our faith, in our strength. Father, we love you so very much. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Even though the kingdom of God is spiritual in nature, there are definite experiences and definite laws that governs one's conduct as a citizen. Now, in the previous lesson, the lesson from last week, we reviewed the history, the prophecy, and the fulfillment of God's promise to establish his kingdom here on earth. We looked at various ways that the kingdom was described, and we also looked at some of its unique features. We finished by listing the eventual outcome of the kingdom when our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus returns. It is no surprise then to know that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the the kingdom of Christ was a major topic in the teaching of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. We see an example of this emphasis of the kingdom in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, where our Lord's sermon deals primarily with how one is to live and conduct himself as a member of this kingdom. So what we're going to do to get ourselves started is we're going to go to the book of Matthew chapter 5, and we are going to read the first two verses there as we begin this study. And as we go through this, we are going to see what it teaches us about life in the kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the Bible reads, 
When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Now, we're going to get into the things that he said in a moment. The Sermon on the Mount, a lot of us, if not all of us, have have read through that on more than one occasion. But the Sermon on the Mount is a collection of topics that Jesus addressed at, at this particular occasion and partially and is partially, I should say, mentioned in other Gospels. For instance, Luke chapter 6 at verse 17. Now the setting is on a hillside which is overlooking the Sea of Galilee. This is near the town of Capernaum and this is a town where both Jesus and Peter lived as adults. Matthew says that after Jesus finished this sermon or this teaching, if you will, he came down and after healing several people from the crowd, he went to Peter's home where he also healed his mother-in-law who was suffering from a high fever. And we can read about this in Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. The Sermon on the Mount deals with five topics, and those are the topics you see on the slide. It deals with the Beatitudes, chapter 5, verses 1 through 16, the law. And when we talk about the law, not just the law of Moses, but the law of Christ, and we see how God intended the law to be versus how man intended some things to be, we see that in Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 through 48. Then we get into the child of God, the Christian's relationship with God, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 34. And then the child of God, the Christian's relationship with one another or with others, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. And finally, the Christian's way of life, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 29. In this lesson, we will explore these five topics, starting with the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Now, it's interesting thing about this word Beatitude. The word Beatitude does not appear in the New Testament as such. It is the word Beatudo, a Latin translation for the word blessed, which means happy, joyful, or blessed. When we look at the Beatitudes, there are nine of them in all, and all of them begin and are structured in the same way, in this way. They make a promise, they deal with spiritual things, and they are a direction for people in the kingdom. One needs to remember the idea that the Beatitudes and and, and what is written here in the Sermon on the Mount is directed towards people who are in the kingdom is directed toward Christians, not people who are outside of the kingdom for whom these things make no sense. But understand this, the teachings about our conduct, the attitude, the teachings about our attitude and our relationships, all of this that's contained in the Sermon of the Mount, it doesn't make sense to people who are not Christians. Now, don't get me wrong, they can understand what's being said. They can understand what has been written. In other words, they understand what is being taught, but the content is impractical. It's impractical to them. It's impractical in context because they are not members of the kingdom. 
The approach that Jesus uses uses in the in the Beatitudes was a style that the Jewish rabbis had when introducing their lessons with a, a question or a paradox. Beatitudes, the Beatitudes that we're talking about, they were contradictions that challenged the preconceived notion of life and philosophy. For example, the spiritually poor will obtain riches in heaven. The mourners would be comforted. The gentle will gain the earth, not the warriors. Those thirsty for righteousness will be satisfied. In the Beatitudes, Jesus gives insight into the spiritual reality that operates in the kingdom of heaven. These are our spiritual principles by which we in the kingdom live by. For example, those who bear persecution in the name of Christ do rejoice. This is not a usual reaction of those who are persecuted because normally when someone is persecuted, they have a very different reaction. They either react in fear or anger or desire to get revenge. But, but in the kingdom, the spiritual laws work in such a way that those who suffer for Christ actually rejoice in their suffering. Disciples in the kingdom and influenced by these principles are distinct. When I say distinct, think about how, how salt is distinctive in flavor. Think about how light is distinctive to the eye. The distinctiveness of, of the disciples characterized by the principles set forth in the Beatitudes is what makes them stand apart from others and what characterizes the kingdom as the saltiness of salt or the brightness of light. This distinctiveness ultimately perceived in good lives and good works is is not only indicative of the kingdom, but also reveals the, the true nature of God to fallen man. In in the Beatitudes, we see man as he is in a regenerated state and not as he was in a state of lawlessness without Christ. This is the practical out, if you will, working of an individual who is born again in Christ Jesus. The next topic that Christ Jesus covered is that of the law. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 48, which turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. The Bible reads, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This verse right here, chapter 20, chapter 5 verse 20, this verse is the key verse in, in the discourse on the law and it reveals that the higher righteousness of the disciples is the quality if you will that distinguishes them and makes them useful in the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 48 Christ Jesus makes a, a series of comparisons putting forth what the people had been taught about the law by their teachers and then comparing these teachings 
with the essence or the spirit of the law given by the one who originally gave the law to Moses, and that's Christ Jesus himself. We see this, uh, Matthew, cha- I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Jesus, Jesus comments on five areas of the teachings of the law. And again, this is the law that came from the, the, uh, the law of Moses, let's say. They had received this from their teachers, and he compares each of these particular items with the true essence of what that teaching actually meant according to the one who gave the law. So the first thing that he wanted to bring to their attention is this. We see in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, we see Christ Jesus teaching on murder. The text reads, You've heard that the ancients were, excuse me, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that who, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the supreme court, and whoever says you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Jesus pegs the crime of murder at the beginning of anger, not at the end of it. He pegs it at the beginning of resentment towards others and that the keeping of the law meant a conscious effort at reconciliation. Reconciliation and not just avoiding the extreme which would be murder. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, we see Christ Jesus teaching on adultery. Verses 27 and 28, the Bible reads, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, going back at that time, they, Israel, had been taught to manipulate the law in order to justify their adultery with easy divorce. They thought, as long as I give my wife a certificate or a bill of divorce, I have not broken God's law when I divorced her. Jesus again situates the true sin as impurity of the heart and the keeping of the law as an effort to control one's mind and body, not the manipulation of the law. He's, he's explaining where the true sin was and what keeping the law here really meant. It meant sexual purity, fidelity. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 and 34, we see his teachings about vows. At verse 33, the, the Bible reads, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, 
either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. You see, the Jews at that time had learned, a, let's call it a complex manner of making selected vows, which they felt they could break when it was convenient. Jesus reveals that vows are not necessary when one has an honest heart, which was what the law essentially required, an honest heart. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39, we see Jesus' teaching on justice. At verse 38, the Bible reads, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Their system at the time relied on the law as a tool for restitution and very often was a cover for revenge. Jesus taught them the higher principle of the law was mercy and not simply exacting justice or revenge. And the last thing about the law, Matthew chapter 5, Verses 43 and 44, we see his teaching on nationalism. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, they, Israel, would use the law to, to, to build a wall around themselves and keep others out. All done as a way of isolating themselves. Jesus showed them that the one, the one purpose of the law was to reveal God's goodness to men. That to be like God meant to have justice and especially mercy towards strangers and those who were dispossessed. So we get back to topic number three of the Beatitudes, our relationship with God. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 34. In this passage, Jesus teaches them, and he teaches us too, how to have a proper relationship with God in heaven. And it breaks down into three things. First of all, it, it's, it's verses one through four we see it. We have to practice goodness toward God with the view of pleasing him and not man. Number two, we have to pray. We have to pray to God in order to communicate with him and not simply to impress others with our piety. Verses five through 18 and the third thing for us, we need to trust. Trust in God to provide for all of your or our physical and spiritual needs. Verses 19 through 34. So for everyone that's wearing that banner, if you will, of Christian or child of God, when we're looking at our relationship with God, we should be doing these three things every day. We should be practicing goodness toward God. We should be praying to God to communicate with him. We should be trusting 
in God. You see, Jesus encourages his audience to to understand the nature of the kingdom by with the Beatitudes. He teaches us to understand the quality of life that that we or they should strive for as salt and, and light of the earth, which is the essence of the law. And guides them, guides us into practical ways to have a meaningful relationship with God, which takes us to the fourth topic. We as Christians... What is our relationship with one another? In a moment, we'll be in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. You see, the elements of a proper relationship with God are followed by the key idea in having a blessed relationship with people in the kingdom. It's like my granddad used to say this all the time. If you can't live with me on earth, you're certainly not going to live with me in heaven. (laughs) And that's a fact. Matthew chapter 7 verse 12, the Bible reads, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Upon this principle is based all of the teachings of the law and the prophets on how we must treat one another in order to bless ourselves, but also please God, but also please God. Which brings us to the fifth topic. As Christians, we have a way of life we need to live. And God gives us that. He teaches us that. You know, many times I've, I've stood here and I'm sure other people have said it too, that God is so proactive. He is so proactive. He tells us everything we need to do to please him and the consequences of that. And he tells us everything that we can do to displease him and the consequences of that. And then he tells us, I'm forgiven too. You can seek repentance. And this is the consequences of that. That's proactivity. That's proactivity. So the way of life that we as Christians need to have is we see in Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 through 29. So what we have is this. Christ Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. Having set forth the perimeters of the kingdom and his inner workings here on earth... Our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus explains the way to enter into a relationship with the Father in the kingdom of heaven. A three-step process. Number one, enter by the narrow gate of Christ. Later, at his crucifixion, the disciples will understand just how narrow and difficult this gate really is. Jesus is the only gate that one can enter through and faith in him is the only way to enter in. That is not just something that his disciples would have come to the realization of at the crucifixion. His crucifixion. That is something that we who are Christians today should have come to the realization of as well. That gate is narrow. When he is the only one, we don't get multiple choices here. We don't get multiple options. We get the one. 
one and only one. Number two, we have to be careful. You know, we read about the Bereans a lot. They searched the scriptures daily so that they would know. I'm standing here talking, yeah. But you guys should be searching the scriptures daily so that you would know. What James opened his mouth and said Wednesday night during the class, was it accurate or not? What Brother Bob Lawrence, as eloquent as he is, opened his mouth and said Sunday, was it truthful or not? What Brother J.J. brought us Sunday evening, was it truthful or not? None of us should ever come to a worship service online or in person and sit there and act as if that person is standing up here is infallible. There was only one teacher that ever stood before a group and was infallible, and that was Christ Jesus. And that was Christ Jesus. So number two, beware of false prophets who produce neither the teaching nor the fruit of the kingdom of Christ. That's that's how you know them. They have neither the fruit nor the teaching of the kingdom of Christ. The true prophets have the fruit and the teachings. So we have to judge Christianity or any other religion by its fruit, by its fruit. Number three. Don't just hear the words of Christ. Don't just hear the words of Christ. We're supposed to be hearers and doers, not just hearers. And we certainly can't be just doers because if we're just doers, we're, what are we doing? <laughs> what, what are we do? We're acting on our own, if you will. So don't just hear the words of Christ. Act upon them to enter into the kingdom. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many heard all of what Christ Jesus said that day when he stood on that mountainside by the Sea of Galilee and he brought forth this sermon that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Many people stood there and heard that sermon and they they were amazed at his teaching. But only a few, only a few entered through the narrow gate of faith in him. And as a result, Receive the cross that he called on his disciples to carry. Today's lesson is yours. It is my hope. It is my hope that every lesson that is brought from this pulpit that Every soul that sits in this auditorium or listens in on this live streaming, that that lesson will be a source of spiritual growth and of spiritual maturity, not just to the hearers, but also to the presenters, but also to the presenters. In a few minutes, probably about... 15 minutes, give or take. We will participate in a devotional. Those present will have an opportunity to state their needs. Those online 
can contact us using one of the methods that's presented on the slide. Now next week, brother, my brother in Christ, Scott Geyer, uh, when Tony left and we agreed to, uh, to fill in for him, um, I wanted to afford Scott the opportunity to bring some lessons, so he wasn't able to bring them as consecutive weeks, so he chose the first week of Tony Absence, the first Wednesday, and, and he chose a different Wednesday, which is next Wednesday, to bring the second lesson that he wanted to bring. That means I will be returning in two weeks to finish the remaining two parts of our mini-series, The Kingdom of God is Like. And in that lesson, that we will find that the kingdom of God is like farming. And I guess that means we can get our hands dirty in doing it. You all have a wonderful evening, and thank you for being with us this evening. And please, stay and join us for the devotional.